I'm going to uh, go in a little different direction here. I want to get back to something that's been developing that we probably haven't heard too much about because of the coronavirus. But with Easter approaching, with Easter approaching, uh, it is also the time of the Passover for the Jewish people. And whenever you come to the time of the Passover, they become very concerned about the Passover sacrifice or the Passover lamb to be sacrificed. And so with the Temple Mount uh, still a very contentious thing in the Middle East, especially with Israel and the Palestinians, and and actually all of the uh, Arab countries around Jordan, Egypt, Syria, all around that area, uh, they're all very concerned about the Jews wanting the Temple Mount back. And uh, I want to get into that a little bit because some things are brewing right now and it's because Easter is coming up pretty soon. And I want to talk to you from the word of the Lord concerning that. Uh, I'm going to read a passage of scripture here in the Bible that I've read many times before, but I just want to read it again to give us sort of a foundation here of where I'm going and what I'm going to be talking to you about here today. And I'm going to talk to you about the Passover sacrifice. And this is continuation with the end time factors, things that will involve us in the end time. And uh, I want you to look with me, if you would, in Luke chapter 21, verse 20. Luke 21:20. Jesus speaking here says, "When you sh- and when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh." When you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that desolation is nigh. And Jesus here, at this time, was speaking of when the Romans would come down and surround Jerusalem and conquer Jerusalem and actually destroy the city and the temple. Now, they had a temple back then. It's called Herod's Temple. It was a temple that Jesus went into a couple of times and cleansed. Remember, he took the whip and the cord, cords and drove out the money changers and all that stuff. And he says, my father's house should be called a house prayer and you've made a den of thieves, so forth. Well, it was that temple that was still existing. And Jesus had made the statement, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So... At the beginning of Luke 21, which is the same as, uh, as uh, Matthew 24 and Mark 13, the same chapters, they, each one's written by a different author, which is recordings of Jesus' statements. Uh, Jesus and I once told you, but they said, tell us when shall these things be? So this is what Luke says and what Jesus says that Luke records in 20th, the 20th verse. When you shall see Jerusalem combat with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is not. Now, the desolation he's referring to is the desolation of the temple and the city, spoken of by Daniel in chapter 26, uh, chapter uh, 26, I believe it, yeah. Now, I'm going to move on here a little bit further. And then he says in verse 21, Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst that part thereof, and let not them that are in the countries enter thereunto. When you see all these things happen, and wherever you are, just get out of there. Keep going. For, verse 22, for these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Then in verse 23, but woe unto them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath 
upon this people, which are the Jews. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, Jesus prophesied that. And when that time came and the Roman armies began to march down, Titus being the leader of it, all of that foretold in Daniel. Uh, chapter 9, I said, well, I go to chapter 9, verse 26. Uh, in chapter 9 of the book of Daniel, when all of that was foretold by Daniel, Jesus is saying here, this, when this begins to happen, he's, he says, then it is time for you to get out of Jerusalem. Now, the Christians who believed Jesus, believed his words and his teachings, they got out. There were no Christians who were caught behind the lines in Jerusalem. But Jews who disregarded Jesus as the Messiah, did not believe he was the Messiah, disregarded everything he said. They didn't believe it. They didn't do it. And consequently, the Romans came in, surrounded the city, warred against it, bombarded it, starved them to death. It was a terrible tragedy. Uh, in all, there was 1,200,000 Jews that perished. There were many Jews that were, had come there for celebration of feast days, and they had all been caught inside the city. But the Christian Jews, they went to a place called Pella, a city that was north of there over on what's today in Jordan. They went to Pella, and they all gathered up there, and no Christian Jews. There were several thousands of these Christian Jews in Jerusalem at the time. None of them perished because they had followed the words of Jesus. And notice here it says, until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, the time of the Gentiles here is fulfilled in, in, in Revelations chapter 10. I won't go into that now. I just want to say here that Jesus had gave them warning that they would be in, trodden down. Jews would be trodden down the Gentiles. The temple was destroyed. And, folks, and I gave you a chart here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, showing you all of the events that's been happening. And today there is the Dome of the Rock, uh, the mosque. It's not a mosque. It's the uh, Temple Mount that is there, the, uh, the Golden Mount that's there. And it represents a Muslim factor. It represents Mohammed ascending into heaven, getting a message from the angel of telling him about all about the Muslim religion and coming back down, which is a fake. It's a it's, it's not really true. But anyhow, this is supposed to be the spot where he went up from the Mount, the Temple Mount, and uh, and the, the to the to the uh, Muslims, the Temple Mount is not called the Temple Mount because they said there's no temple there, and there hasn't been one there for two thousand years. They said there's no temple there, so it's not a Temple Mount. Uh, it's the uh, it's the Dome of the Rock, and uh, they call it the Sharif, the Sharif. So I'm only telling you all of that to tell you here that today, with Jewish people going back to Israel and re being reestablished as, as a nation, they feel and want to feel like that they have now come back and they're back in their own and they're back home and they are Israel as a nation and they want to be recognized as a nation. And they also know that the word of God says that Israel will be a great nation when they are reinstituted. Now I'm going to read some verses to you here. To, to that effect. I want you to look with me, if you would, please, uh, in Isaiah. I've got a reason to tell you this, and I've got something very interesting to show you here today, something very interesting that uh, has recently been given to me by, by a couple in our church here. Now, 
tell you more about that a little further on. But in the book of Isaiah, it talks about their restoration. It, and it speaks about Israel's restoration in many places, in both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The 11th chapter of, of Romans talks about it. But it was prophesied in Isaiah, prophesied in Jeremiah, prophesied in Ezekiel, prophesied in uh, Zechariah, and I could go on and on with all of these prophecies of the restoration of Israel, that it would be destroyed, and it was in 780, and it would be restored. So the Jews look to the restoration scriptures, and they want to be restored. They feel like at this point they are restored, but not quite, not quite there. And they want to, it to be finalized. And I'm going to give you some things here to help us to understand that. Look in uh, Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 1. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. That's the Jewish people. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee. That's the Jewish people. And his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. So these kind of scriptures uh, is, is what encourages the Jewish people to say that whenever we go back as a nation, we're going to excel and exceed other nations. And it's prophesied in the Bible to this extent. Verse 10, I'm going to jump into 60:10. And the sons of strangers shall build thy walls, and their kings shall minister unto thee. And, and in my, my wrath I smote thee, but in my... Favor have I had mercy on thee. Therefore thy gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day or night that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles and, thy, their, and their kings may be brought. And so it goes on down in verse 18. This is still talking about Israel's restoration. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders. But thou shalt be called, shall call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. Verse 21 and 22, I'm going to finish Isaiah here, 60. And this is mentioned in 61, 62. And I won't go into all those verses, just a little touch of them. Look at 21. Thy people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a shall become a thousand and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time, in his time. Now, I'm reading all of this just to show you here how that the word of God has pronounced that Israel would be established and restored. Let me read one other verse of scripture to you concerning the same element of that. This is Hosea 5.14, 5.14. This talks about the Lord uh, destroying Israel because of her sins and transgressions. Israel became haughty against God. And this is why God dealt with her and told her, hey, when you become like this, I'm going to deal with you. When you quit obeying my word and you quit, you become haughty and arrogant, high-minded, mean-spirited, hateful, uh, then I'm going to deal with you like this. As long as you don't do that, I'll, I'll always be good to you. So these are things where he said, I'm going to deal with this is 14 and 15 of chapter 5, the last two verses in chapter 5 of Hosea. He says here, for I will, uh, I will, pardon me, for I will be unto Ephraim as a lion. Ephraim was one of the ten tribes of Israel. It is one of the uh, sons of Joseph, 
that was a, the tribe of, of Israel. Uh, I will be unto Ephraim as a lion, as a young lion to the house of Judah. Judah was the southern kingdom and was, uh, was represented the tribe of Judah. David was from the tribe of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away, be like a lion, what are you saying here, to Israel. I will take away and none shall rescue him. This is his judgments now. Verse 15, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. And in their affliction, they will seek me early. Now, let me just say one thing before I go any further here. God's grace is wonderful. It's great. His grace is great. And to individuals today, to any of us, if we ever go back on God, slide back, I don't know, just get further away from God than what we need to be or should be or just backslidden or whatever. If we will seek the face of God, today is a day of salvation. The Lord will hear us. And this is the wonderful and the beautiful thing about our God is that he is full of mercy and grace. But we have to seek him and we have to want him. And we can't be snobbish to God, independent of God, arrogant, all that kind of stuff. We have to say, God, forgive me. You're everything. God is everything. We're nothing. We're nothing. We're, we're here for a season. And by the grace of God, we can have eternal life and be forever if we walk with him and serve him with all of our hearts. Let me move on because in chapter 6, the, to- the coin is turned over here. He says that they will seek me early. Uh, when they, when in their affliction, verse chapter six and verse one, look at this. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. Now look at the next verse. This is very interesting. After two days will he revive us. After two days. In the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Now, we know it's not 24-hour days. We know that. And both in the book of Psalms and also in the book of, uh, of uh, in Isaiah chapter 90 and verse 4, and also in, uh, uh, in the book of Second Peter, it says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And that's what this is speaking of here. It says after two days or after 2,000 years. Now, Israel was destroyed in 70 AD, okay? It's been now, this is 2020, you know? You say, well, it's not 2070 yet, you know? No, but it says it shall be as to a day. A day, a day shall be as a thousand years, and one, and one day as a thousand years. So it's not exactly the same number of years it can be that real. I'm just trying to say here, it's almost time for Israel to be restored. Are you still with me? So that's what I'm pointing out here uh, to let us know here that the Lord is, is intending to uh, establish Israel. Praise the Lord. And, uh, and so forth. Now, I want to go here a little further because uh, I want to talk to you about their desire to offer the Passover. Here's where the Jewish people are today. We've, established, we've been established as a nation. They're a strong nation, even though they're small people and they got a small piece of land. They're strong because they have the they have the the nuclear bomb. They they do. They know that. Everybody knows that. 
they had the nuclear bomb. They they got it from France to the to the Jews in France. Whenever the uh, nuclear bomb information was known by America and England and France, and they got it through the French uh, Jews. So they've had that. So these Arab nations stand back off a little bit. They don't really get too 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 hard with the Jews because they know they're there. So Israel is as strong as a nation. They see themselves coming together in a lot of things, but some things are just not quite there. And they want it to be come to pass and fulfilled so that all these scriptures about the greatness of Israel can begin to develop. And they feel like that it is has to do to a great extent with the Temple Mount and with their ability to offer sacrifices, to offer sacrifices. This is a very important thing to them to be able to offer sacrifices. Now, uh, I, uh, I'm going to talk to you about something. I, I got this coin that was handed to me by uh, Brother and Sister Petty this past week. God bless them. They actually have given me this. This came from, from, uh, from uh, Israel just recently. And it is called the Temple Coin. This one is made of stainless steel. And it is the replica of, a, of an original that is made of silver. And uh, on this, on one side, let me see if you can see this. I'm going to get the focus in here. Let's see here. That's the wrong button. I'm sorry. Let's take that off. I'm going to get up close here. This coin is, uh, is a pretty good-sized coin. Yeah, boy, we're getting there, aren't we? Now, that is a picture of the temple that they hope that one day to build. And it's all written in Hebrew on the top. I know you can't see that clearly, but up here... And down in here is written in Hebrew. Now, the interesting thing about this coin is what's on the other side of it. This is the tailed side of it, you know, heads and tails. This is the head side. There are two faces there. There's two faces. There's the face of one man in the background here, and there's the face of this man right here. The face of the man in the back is a man by the name of Cyrus. He was king of the Persians. I'm going to talk to you and show you in scripture about him in a minute and why he's so important. The face of the second man is that of our president, Donald Trump. He's on, he is on this Israeli coin that is a coin about the Temple Mount being built because they feel like that that is the answer to them getting their temple and the right to offer sacrifices because that Donald Trump, our president, has been very favorable to the Jews and is the first national Gentile nation leader in the world ever to recognize Jerusalem as the capital city of the Jews. He's the first one to do that. And so they have recognized him as that, and they have honored that. Now, I want to talk to you about Cyrus the Great here first. Thank you, Sister Petty, for this coin. It's just a, a very uh, valuable document here. Let me show you something. Let me show you something about uh, 
this Cyrus the Great. Uh, let me let me see where to start here. I want you, I tell you what. Go to Ezra, the book of Ezra. Let me show you. Then I'll go back. There it is. Okay. Go to Ezra chapter 1. And look at this very closely here. I want to show you something. This is, a, this is a beautiful thing in here that we see about God. Look at Ezra chapter 1. This, this, and what we're reading here happened in 536 B.C. Israel had been conquered by uh, the Babylonians. The Babylonians had been conquered by the Persians. And the uh, Persians now had, they had 10,000 young people that had been taken from Jerusalem over to Babylon. And they had been kept in the kingdom. That was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Mordecai, uh, these Jews that were over in Babylon later on in Persia. And they were in Persia. When the Persian government conquered the Babylonians, they just took over the Jews that were there as well. Uh, Ezekiel was another one that was conquered among them. So I'm just telling you that because... And whenever it came time for this to happen, look at Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, this is Cyrus now. This is the guy whose picture is right over here. That the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and put it into writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he shall he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. Everybody see that? Which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. And... Uh, he is the God which is in Jerusalem. So this was Ezra's statement. Now, the amazing thing about what Ezra had to say was that it had already been prophesied 200 years before that he would do such a thing, before he was ever born. I want you to go to Isaiah. And Isaiah's writings, it was 200 years before Ezra. This was in 536 B.C. This one here beforehand was like in 730, 7-something B.C. That's somewhere around 200 years. I'm reading here in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28. 44, 28. This is the Lord talking about how that he is God of everything. There's nothing that he doesn't know. And he's telling Israel, I know everything. I'm in control of everything. Trust me. And he was talking to Israel. Here's what he says in verse 28. That saith of Cyrus, this is 200 years before Cyrus ever was born. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. Even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Verse 45, thus saith the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the loins of kings to open for him the two leaven gates, and the gates shall not be shut. This is interesting because Babylon was conquered 
by the gates of the Nile River, that the Euphrates River that flowed through the city, where that it was shut off and the gates were open and the armies went in. I won't go into all that. But look at 45.3. And I will give thee, this is the, uh, I'm skipping verse 2 to save time. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the Lord of Israel, the God of Israel. For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. Do you understand what we're saying? The Lord is saying, you know, even though these Gentile kings and emperor leaders and all of them, they don't know who are the most, they think the most powerful men in the world. But I'm the one that I know who they are and I can control them like I want to when I want to. And God here is established his, his power and his presence. I'll just drop this in for what it's worth. This is for free. Whenever uh, Winston Churchill was prime minister of England during World War II and Germany was bombing England every day and the people were saying, Mr. Churchill, what shall we do? What shall we do? What shall we do? And... And he was saying, stick with the plan, stick with the plan, stick with the plan. And they were being bombed. In the middle of the night, when Churchill was noted for waking up and doing a lot of office work in his bed, sitting up in his bed in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night, he, he told this, and I read this myself out of one of his small, very small autobiography that he wrote. He said, in the middle of the night, he was awakened. And he said, I felt impressed to read the Bible. And he read this scripture here, and he says that uh, this verse of scripture, and then he read this verse in verse 4, For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called thee by thy name. And he said, when I read that, I knew right then that God was going to give us the victory over Germany because of the Jews, because of the Jews. And that's whenever he, the next day, he said, we're going to win the war. And he had that confidence because he read it in the word of God. I feel the Holy Ghost. Folks, I'm telling you, God's presence and God's spirit will direct his people. He will keep his hand on us. He will direct us in all things, praise the Lord. So I'm just explaining to you here, this Cyrus here and what he did. So in, in 536 B.C., uh, he spoke to this man, tell the people to go back and build the temple. Well, when they went back, and they 50,000 that went with Zerubbabel. It's all in history. They all went back. They didn't build the city. And they didn't rebuild the temple right away. They started offering sacrifices on the temple mount. And they began to offer sacrifices. And in time, they built the temple called Zerubbabel's temple. It was very modest. And the old prophet Haggai, whenever he saw it, he remembered the temple of Solomon. And he wept for sadness. Because he said it's not as glorious as Solomon's temple, but it is the temple of God. And he wept, you know, for the sadness of it. But Zechariah, who was the younger prophet, whenever he saw the temple, and he had never seen Solomon's temple, but he saw Zerubbabel, he rejoiced and, and danced, and all the young people the same age he was did because they were happy that they had a temple. And then that temple was refurbished as time went along by Herod the Great and was called Herod's Temple in the days of Christ. And so Jesus, when he came, praise the Lord. Now, 
I want to talk to you, and I've got about 15 minutes to talk to you about this. The Passover lamb is what they're wanting to sacrifice. That's because that's the sacrifice that would come off around Easter time, and here's why. Everybody still with me? Now, when the Jews were to leave Egypt, I'll just leave that up there for what it's worth there. When the Jews were going to leave Egypt and come out of Egypt, they... uh, The Lord said, I want you to offer a sacrifice and take the blood and apply it to the doorpost of your house on each side and across the lintel of your house and offer a Passover lamb the eve before you leave the next morning. They said, well, how do we know we're going to leave? They said, you'll be leaving because that night I'm going to have the death angel to pass by. And the oldest son in every house, oldest son in every house, that does not have the blood applied, I will take his life. I don't care whether it is the king, whether it is a peasant, all through all of Egypt and through all of Israel, if you don't do it. And I'll even do it with among all the cattle. I'll take the oldest son in all and every family and everything. And so you want to apply the blood. So that father, he offered the lamb for a sacrifice and he applied the blood to the household. And just like you put paint up there. They had a certain hyssop brush they used and applied the paint. Every house among the Jews did it. And the Egyptians laughed at them because you say your God's telling you to do a silly thing. And when the death angel passed that night, you heard all this crying throughout all of Egypt. But the Jews did not. He said, I want you now to eat the Passover. That's the Passover lamb. After they apply the blood, you eat the sacrifice. In other words, cook and eat it. And then because the, and don't let any of it remain because of the next door. And if, and if you've got a small family, get with the family next door to you and work together and both of you do get this done. The next morning, he said, I want you to be ready to go. The next morning, they were ready to go. They were, had, they got, they were marked. They got the shoes on their feet, the clothes on their back, everything they had in the possession. And they marched out. And Pharaoh said to Moses, take your people and get out of here. Get out of here. Get gone. You know the story. That was called the Passover because whenever I see the blood, I will pass over. Now, the Passover was to be celebrated every year when the Jews would get into Canaan's land. They would get past, they would represent, the Passover represented the Lord giving them deliverance from, uh, from Egypt. What it represents to us today, the blood of the lamb, is that it, the, the blood, praise the Lord, shed, Delivers us from the world and from sin, sin in the world. It delivers us. Now, what's all that got to do with, uh, with us today, Brother Myers? The Passover lamb was until Jesus came. And now I want you to go with me to, uh, John for a moment. Go to John chapter, <clears throat> chapter one, verse 29. John 29. Chapter one, verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. All right. Verse 35. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, verse 36. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, John made that statement twice. The statement about the Lamb of God is also uh, mentioned uh, over in the book of, of Isaiah chapter 53, where it talks about, it's a prophecy of Jesus' crucifixion. 
Verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Now, these are all scriptures here telling us about uh, Jesus Christ, you know, being the, the Lamb of God. And uh, I'm telling you all of this so that you understand here, uh, also in the book of Genesis, whenever the Lord told uh, Abraham, take your son Isaac up on Mount Moriah and offer him for a sacrifice. When, he, when they were going up, Isaac said to his dad, Dad, here's the wood and here's the fire, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a sacrifice. Okay. They went on to the top of the mountain. And then he was going to offer Isaac for a sacrifice. God says, no, don't do it. And then he saw an animal caught in the thickets. It was a ram, not a lamb, but a ram caught in the thicket. And he offered the ram for a sacrifice uh, up on top of the Mount Moriah. That was Mount Moriah at that point. And he offered that ram. What I'm trying to say here is that whenever he said God will offer himself a lamb, that lamb was not the ram that later, that he did later offer. It was a prophecy of the coming of Christ. Jesus Christ was the lamb slain. Praise the Lord. Uh, also, God will offer himself as a lamb to be slain, and he will offer unto himself a lamb. Praise the Lord. So that God... Praise the Lord, was in the sense of the word. He was the man crucified. He was the lamb slain. He was also the recipient of the sacrifice as God Almighty. And also the Bible says he was he is our high priest. He was the offerer of the one. No one took his life, but he laid it down willingly. He offered the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. He was the recipient of the sacrifice. Jesus was the lamb that was slain. And when Jesus died on Calvary, folks, that ended the need for all animal sacrifices ever to exist. Now, this is very important that I'm telling you here. I'm going to read one other scripture over here in Hebrews. Look at this. This is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Verse 23 of Hebrews 9. And almost uh, at verse 23. And it... It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves were the better sacrifice of these. That's animal sacrifice that we're talking about. For Christ has not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, that's the things on this earth, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Look at verse 25 nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others, that is, of the animals. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So, verse 28, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now, what I am simply pointing out to you here, 
Because the Jews do not believe Jesus is the Messiah, they're wanting to reestablish animal sacrifices, just like Cyrus did. And just like they're hoping that our president, brother, uh, President Donald, what do I call him, brother, uh, President Donald Trump, just like he uh, is uh, seemingly favoring the Jews over in the Middle East. Now, what I'm pointing out to you here is that while many people are enthusiastic about this desire of the Jews to offer a Passover lamb, it is mute. It means nothing. It has no value whatsoever because Jesus has already paid the price. What every Jew needs to do is not say we need to offer a Passover lamb, but we need to know who the Passover lamb was and still is to this day. One sacrifice once and for all. And so while they are anxious to offer sacrifices, and it's, it's, a, it's a hotbed, it's a contentious, uh, <clears throat> every time they go to do that and talk about it, and I've got all kinds of material here. I mean, I've got letters, I've got paperwork, I've got clippings. Uh, every time there's, every year it rolls around. See, Jesus was, was the Passover lamb. And he was offered supposedly on Good Friday. Some say it's Thursday, some Friday. It's, I'm not going to get into that. But anyhow, he was offered that week. And then on the first day of the week, he rose from the dead. We know that. He rose. That's Easter Sunday to us. But him as the Passover lamb was offered, you know, uh, two, three days before that. Three days before that. I'm only saying that to say this, that that sacrifice now has been offered. Praise the Lord. And Jesus, praise the Lord, was the sacrifice. His blood was shed. And there's so many scriptures that describe his crucifixion and that this is the lamb slain from the, of, of the Lord that we should understand here that this desire to offer animal sacrifices is strictly Jewish and is not something that we can celebrate over. What I'd like for Israel to do is say, look, Jesus was our Messiah. Jesus was the animal sacrifice. Let's worship Jesus and call upon the Lord. And when they do that, when they do that, that's when things really will change. And God will begin to turn things around for Israel. But until that time, they want the temple built and they want this animal sacrifice. So they want just some part of that. If we can just get an animal sacrifice, we can just have the Passover. So every Easter, there's always that effort. The, uh, the Temple Mount faithful, they call them. This is a segment of Jewish people in Israel who are determined to somehow or another bring about the reestablishment of the temple and, they, and they, they don't give up on it. They're very faithful to it and they're very loyal to it. And while we may respect that because they, they believe in the word of God and the, in the restoration of Israel, yet they do not say Jesus was the Messiah. And so uh, there's an article in here. I, I don't think he's here with us. It's written to Brother Clyde Gibson. I read this, and I'm not going to read it to you. But it's a letter written to him uh, from the Temple Institute faithful group in Jerusalem uh, here a while back. And in that, he, they talked to him not about the sacrifice, but about the temple. And they said, when the temple is destroyed, it's going to be a blessing to all the Gentile nations. And we need to get the temple built and so forth. This is what we're objecting, we're trying to do. So the two things they want to do, reestablish sacrifices 
and reestablish the temple. And to them, Israel then will be the great nation that they will be. And they never will be until they say that Jesus is Messiah. Uh, I'm going to read one other scripture. I didn't have plans to read this, but I'm going to read it. So I think it ties it together here. And my time now is, I've got about three minutes. Look in, in Revelations, if you would, chapter uh, Chapter 11, 11, uh, 1. Here's what it says in 11, 1, Revelation 11, 1. This is where the, it, it turns. And this is where God quits dealing. The time of the Gentiles is over with, and God begins to deal with the Jews. Look at 11, 1. And there was given unto me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out, measure it not, for it's given unto the Gentiles. In the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. That's uh, three and a half years. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. This is where he sends the two witnesses back, Moses and Elijah. They shall prophesy a thousand two hundred threescore days, also three and a half years. And, and sackcloth and ashes. These are the two olive trees and so forth. Um, and it goes on to say, verse 6, These have power to shut the heavens, and it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power to, over the waters to turn them to blood, just like Moses had, and to smite the earth with plagues like Moses, and often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the, two, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them, and shall kill them, and their dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city, which is Jerusalem. And spiritually is called Solomon Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified, which is Jerusalem. And then they are going to stand up on their feet and ascend into heaven. I won't get into all the detail there. Only to tell you this, this is whenever the Jews turn back to the Lord. And when they do that, I can read you over in Zechariah chapter 12, where the Jews turn back to Jesus. And the Lord gives them the spirit of grace. And everybody will go apart and they'll get on their face before God. And they will seek the face of God and they will pray and they will cry. And they will say, he was our Messiah and we never knew it. This is in Zechariah chapter 12. Read it sometime. It's powerful. My time is gone. But I'm just trying to tell you, tell you folks that what they're doing now, praise the Lord, is just not quite there. And that means that we're coming close to the end time because things are building up. A lot of things are brewing in the world right now. You know, this... This virus, we talked about it last week, how that it could be a forerunner of what's going to come on the earth. A lot of things developing. It's time to get right with God. If you're not right with God, it's time to get close to God. If you're not close to God, it's time to help everybody you can get saved. Praise the Lord. If you've got a loved one or relative, see if you can teach them a home Bible study. See if you could just encourage them. Uh, I mean, something to help people find the Lord. I believe there's a lot of people out there saying, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm worried. I'm concerned. Where do I go from here? And can I just say here that the Lord wants to save them because the door of salvation still, like Noah's Ark, stands wide open. Praise the Lord. It's not shut. Not until the Lord says, okay, it'll be shut. And amen. And that's not over until that time the rapture takes place.